You're listening to the Qalam Institute podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Qalam is pleased to announce that admissions for the next Qalam seminary intake are now open. For more information, please visit qalaminstitute.org. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Inshallah, continuing with our series on the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, as-siratul nabawiyah, the prophetic biography. Um, over the last few sessions, we've been talking about the uh, great event of the Battle of Badr, one of the most uh, landmark events uh, in the history of Islam and in the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This event of Badr, the Battle of Badr, occurred. Uh, towards the end of the second year of the Prophet Sallallahu residence in the city of Medina. It was, it was about halfway through the month of Ramadan on the 17th of the month of Ramadan. What we've talked about up to this point is not only what led up to the Battle of Badr, but also, you know, the day before, how exactly everything was strategically set up in the battlefield. We also talked about, if you will, the action in the battlefield itself and in the previous session, what we talked about was, as the battle was winding down, basically what was happening and transpiring at that time, where the Prophet ﷺ started to check on and see uh, what the situation of the Sahaba was, uh, where were the Sahaba, who had fallen, who was okay, and the Prophet ﷺ was kind of, if you will, taking count of the believers themselves. And similarly, the Prophet ﷺ started to inquire about who had fallen in the battlefield from the side of the disbelievers. And one specific person that we talked about, a couple of rather, Umayyah bin Khalaf, we also talked about Abu Jahl, and how the Prophet ﷺ was not only informed, but shown that Abu Jahl had fallen, and the Prophet ﷺ praised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and said that this was the Fir'aun of this Ummah. After the Battle of Badr had basically concluded, the next task at hand was taking care of the fallen, the individuals that had died in the Battle of Badr. The Shuhada, the martyrs from the side of the Muslims, and similarly disposing of, you know, taking care of the bodies of the disbelievers that had fallen at that time as well. For the shuhada, of course, they were buried in accordance with, you know, the proper Islamic etiquette, and the Prophet ﷺ personally stood over their janazah and had them properly buried, as, and there were 14 sahaba who had fallen on the day of Badr. As for the disbelievers, it's mentioned that there were about 70 of them who had fallen at the time of Badr. There were, all, there were nearly a thousand of them who had come for the Battle of Badr. Only 70 had fallen, only 70 had died. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala specifically talking about this, he mentions that of course we talked at length over the last couple of sessions about how the angels, the malaika came down from the sky, they came from the heavens to aid and assist the Muslims in the battle of Badr and to fight on behalf of the Muslims. And there's multiple, numerous testimony, uh, not only from the Sahaba, but even from some of the non-Muslims, and from some of the individuals like Hakim bin Hizam, and others who would become Muslim later, but were not Muslim on the day of Badr, and they had actually fought on the side of the disbelievers on the day of Badr, and they actually also note and talk about how the angels were there in the battlefield on that day, and of course above all else, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran talks about that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down angels into the battle field on the day of Badr. So Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala says, not that the angels are coming, and Jibreel alayhi salam was amongst them, 
We know about Jibreel alayhi salam. The Prophet sallallahu in the hadith of Sahih Bukhari describes Jibreel alayhi salam as his feet are on the ground, his head is in the clouds, his wings are so huge, when he spreads them, he covers the entire horizon east to west, and he has 600 of such wings. Right? There are narrations that tell us authentically that Jibreel alayhi salam was sent to destroy some of the past nations. And Jibreel alayhi salam by himself was sufficient to eradicate and completely destroy entire nations of people. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending an army of a thousand angels down into the battlefield on the day of Badr. That, that, that is more than enough to completely wipe out all thousand of the disbelievers. But only 70 fell on that day. And so Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala talks about the wisdom in this. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لِيَهْلِكَ مَنْ هَلَكَ عَمْ بَيِّنَةٍ وَيَحْيَا مَنْ حَيَّ عَمْ بَيِّنَةٍ Right, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not decree for all of them to die. The 70 individuals who fell, who died, from the side of the mushrikun, from the side of the Quraysh on the day of Badr, were the individuals about whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had decreed that there was no khayr left in these people. There was no more recourse for these individuals. They had been given the proof conclusively and completely. And who had delivered the proof to them? This is not us saying. We are very deficient. If I say I gave the proof completely to someone, you have every right to be skeptical because who am I? But Muhammad Rasulullah had personally delivered the message to these individuals and that they had time and time again rejected any notion of belief. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed for them to, be, to, be fall, to fall on that day and to die on that day. As for the other 900 plus that remained alive on that day, even from the side of the Quraysh, it's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had still given them some time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them another opportunity. And we find many of them accepted Islam later on and came to Islam later on and their children came to Islam. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had written some type of khair for them. So nevertheless, now that the Prophet ﷺ is surveying the situation and 70 of them have fallen. Again, similarly, the Prophet ﷺ ordered the Sahaba to remove their bodies, to basically bury them or to, you know, uh, to dispose of them, to bury them. And specifically, one of the ways that they disposed of some of the bodies was that the place of Badr, it's called the place of Badr because of the wells of Badr. There were wells there. And so many of the wells were empty and abandoned. They no longer had water in them. So the Prophet ﷺ ordered the Sahaba to take the bodies of some of the Quraysh and dump them into these empty wells and then cap the well from on top. And so specifically it talks about how some of the leaders of the Quraysh, that their bodies had been put in one particular well. Such individuals as Abu Jahl, Umayyah bin Khalaf, Utbah bin Rabi'ah, um, Shayba ibn Rabi'ah, and others, they had been put all inside of one well. And then after their bodies had been put in that well and they had been disposed there, the Prophet of Allah then stood at that well. And there are multiple narrations from Imam Bukhari, from Imam Muslim, the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, all the books of Sirah such as Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham, Ibn Kathir. They all mention these narrations. There are a multitude of narrations that the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he said, Ya Ahl al-Qalib. Ya Ahl al-Qalib. Qalib referring to the well. Ya Ahl al-Qalib. And in one narration, he specifically mentions their names. 
يا عتبة بن ربيعة يا شيبة بن ربيعة يا أمية بن خلف يا أبا جهل بن هشام فعدد من كان منهم في القليب and he named off he counted off their names then the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said هل وجدتم ما وعد ربكم حقا هل وجدتم ما وعد ربكم حقا quoting an ayah of the Quran the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says have you found what your Lord promised you to be true Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent you a message and I delivered that message to you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down his kalam, his speech, the word of God itself. And I delivered it firsthand personally to you. That told you that if you believe in Allah, and you obey Allah, and you submit yourself to Allah, and you follow the messenger of Allah, and you live your life in accordance with the book of Allah, that you will find success in this life and in the next. That you will find peace and tranquility here and in the eternal life of the hereafter. But you were also told that if you deny this book and you deny the Messenger of Allah and you refuse to believe and submit before Allah, then there's punishment and torment and misery that awaits you. Not only in this life, but particularly in the life of the hereafter. فَهَلْ وَجَدْتُمْ مَا وَعَدَ رَبُّكُمْ حَقَّةً Did you find what Allah promised you to be true? Because He says, فَإِنِّي قَدْ وَجَدْتُ مَا وَعَدَنِي رَبِّي حَقًا Because I found that what Allah promised me came true. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told me, إِحْدَى الطَّائِفَتَيْنِ That one of the two groups, either the caravan of Abu Sufyan or the army of the Quraysh, one of the two groups, we would meet and we would overcome. I found the promise of Allah to come true. Have you found the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to come true? And so some of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, as he's sitting there at the edge of this well, saying this, reflecting on this, some of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ said, Ya Rasulullah, You speak to these people that are dead? And the Prophet ﷺ said, لَقَدْ عَلِمُوا أَنَّ مَا وَعَدَ رَبُّهُمْ حَقَّ They know that what Allah had promised them is true. They know it for a fact now. They have seen it with their own eyes now. They are in the life of the hereafter and they know exactly what Allah said was true. And what I delivered to them was the truth. Meaning that the Prophet ﷺ alluded to the fact that the purpose here isn't so much that I'm literally engaging them in a dialogue, but the Prophet ﷺ was reflecting on the fact that what Allah says always happens. And what Allah, Allah's plan is always what is realized. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says specifically about the Battle of Badr, after the Battle of Badr, in Surah Al-Anfal, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remarks, وَيَمْكُرُونَ وَيَمْكُرُ Allah says, وَيَمْكُرُونَ وَيَمْكُرُ they were making their plans, but what they did not realize is that Allah was Allah had His own plan. Wallahu khairul makirin, and Allah is the best of planners. One specific narration talks about how Umayyah bin Khalaf. Now Umayyah bin Khalaf was a really terrible individual. He was somebody who had personally tortured many of the companions. He was responsible for the death of many of the Sahaba due to torture in the days of Mecca. And the Prophet of and uh, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu had personally been tortured by Umayyah bin Khalaf. He had threatened the Prophet sallallahu multiple times in his life in Mecca, Umayyah bin Khalaf. When they found the body of Umayyah bin Khalaf, very strangely, literally hours after he had died, he was wearing an armor and his body started to decompose. His body started to decompose so quickly that usually a part of decomposition is that the body starts to swell. 
right? The body starts to swell. He had started to swell up so much that he had gotten stuck and trapped inside of his armor. And of course the armor, even if somebody wasn't going to use it, it could still be melted down. It still was worth something. It was worth some value. And so they needed to remove the armor. And when they tried to remove the armor, his body started to, his skin started to tear apart and break apart. And because he had decomposed in a number of hours. And this is very interesting because one of the fada'il, one of the virtues that Allah mentions in the Qur'an, is talking about the shuhada, the martyrs, right? People who have given their lives for the sake of Islam. That, وَلَا تَقُولُوا لِلَّذِينَ قُتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أَمْوَاتَ بَلْ أَحْيَاءٌ the people who have died in the path of Allah do not call them dead because they are alive with their Lord and they are being sustained near their Lord. And of course that has its obvious meaning that in the life of the hereafter Allah continues to honor them and bestow His blessings upon them. But there are actual narrations even at the time of the Prophet some observations about some of the Sahaba and even afterwards that one of the miracles of the shuhada. One of the remarkable things about shuhada is that sometimes days, even weeks after they have died, their bodies seem as if they are still fresh. The blood is still fresh and warm and oozing from their wounds. And this is part of the nobility that Allah bestows upon the shuhada, the ikram from Allah. And so you see the opposite and the reverse of that in the case of a man who cursed the Prophet ﷺ. Who tortured the companions of the Messenger ﷺ? That hours after he had died, his body has decomposed as uh, so quickly. It would take days for a body to decompose that much. So now that he had swelled up so much that the armor wouldn't come off, and they tried to pull the armor off, it's, his body started to literally tear apart. And so because of that, the Prophet ﷺ told them, "Leave him wherever he is." They couldn't even lift him up anymore. So they said, leave him where he is, and they just brought dirt and rocks and just buried him there. And basically, kind of built a grave over the ground, and just buried him over there to take care of his body. So you see, and the Prophet ﷺ remarked at that time, Don't you wish now that you would have obeyed Allah and His Messenger ﷺ? We found what Allah had promised us to be true. Did you find what Allah promised you to be true? Don't you wish, Don't you wish now that you would have listened to Allah and His Messenger And the Prophet was also very remorseful and sad that these people just would not listen. They did not listen. It didn't have to come to this. Right, time and time again the Prophet ﷺ tried. But due to their stubbornness, they were not willing to listen to the Prophet ﷺ. Hassan bin Thabit radiallahu ta'ala anhu, a companion of the Prophet ﷺ, who was a very, very uh, talented poet, he, met, he had some poetry about the day of Badr. And it generally talks about the Prophet ﷺ and the message of the Prophet ﷺ, but specifically about Badr. He says, فَلَاقَيْنَاهُمُ مِنَّا بِجَمْعٍ كَأُسْدِ الْغَابِ مُرْدَانٍ وَشِيبٍ أَمَامَ مُحَمَّدٍ قَدْ وَازَرُوهُ عَلَى الْأَعْدَاهِ فِي لَفْحِ الْحُرُوبِ بِأَيْدِيهِمْ صَوَارِمُ مُرْهَفَاتٌ وَكُلُّ مُجَرِّبٍ خَاطِئِ الْكُعُوبِ بَنُ الْأُوسِ الْغَطَارِفُ وَازَارَتْهَا بَنُ النَّجَارِفِ الدِّينِ الصَّلِيبِ The Prophet uh, Hassan bin Thabit says that we met them in the battlefield like lions from the jungle. 
Instead, and we fought in front of the Prophet ﷺ, assisting him in every way against the enemies in the heat of the battle. And he talks about how we went out there with our hands and ourselves carrying our weapons. And it wasn't just the Muhajirun, but it was the Ansar as well who came to fight and to support the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yunadihim Rasulullahi Lamma Qadafnahum Kabakiba fil Kalibi Alam Tajidu Kalami Kana Hakan Wa Amrullahi Yahudu Bil Kulubi Fama Nataku Walo Nataku Lakalu Sadakta Wa Kunta Da Rayin Musibi. And he says that I remember the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam after we had put them inside of the well, he stood above the well and he said, did you find what I told you to be the truth? Can you now affirm that my message was true? Now that you've crossed over, so to speak, to the other side, you are in the life of the hereafter, now can you tell me that what I told you was the truth? And he says that they cannot speak now, but if they were able to speak, they would have said, you spoke the truth and you were correct in everything that you told us. So it was a very, very heavy day. A day of really powerful emotions. It's mentioned about Utbah ibn Rabi'ah. Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, his son. His son, whose who's, um, who's kunya was Abu Hudayfa. Abu Hudayfa ibn Utbah ibn Rabi'ah. He was a Muslim. He was a Muslim and he was from the Muhajirun. He had left Mecca and come to Medina. When they were... Removing the bodies from the battlefield, he saw the body of his father, Utbah ibn Rabi'ah. He sees his own father's body, dead body. And he became pale when he saw his father's body. And the Prophet ﷺ noticing this, he said, Ya Aba Hudayfa, la'allaka qad dakhalaka min sha'ni abika shay'un that I can tell that it's really deeply affecting you to see your father in this situation. And he responded to the Prophet ﷺ, he said, لا والله يا رسول الله No, Messenger of Allah, I swear to Allah, ما شككت في أبي ولا في مصرعي He says that I, I had no doubt that I chose what was right and my father chose what was wrong. My father made his bed and he's lying in it now. I have no doubt about that fact. وَلَكِنِّي كُنْتُ أَعْرِفُ مِنْ أَبِي رَأْيًا وَحِلْمًا وَفَضْلًا I think back, and I remember my father being a very intelligent man, being a very decent person, having some good, even redeemable qualities. فَكُنْتُ أَرْجُوْ أَنْ يَهْدِيَهُ ذَلِكَ لِلْإِسْلَامِ And I had never lost hope. That because of some of the good that he had, that I can remember, I can recall, good moments, I never stopped hoping that that eventually would bring him to Islam. I'd never given up hope. But now standing here, when I see the situation that he ended up in, and now I know for a fact that he died without believing in Allah, Right? Even though I had so many hopes, I'd never given up hope. It makes me sad. It makes me sad. You see the humanity. Right? This is very important for us to note for a couple of reasons. Number one is because, even first let's talk about the obvious thing. 
a lot of times the, the non-Muslim perspective, particularly the Orientalist, the European perspective, on the life and the seed of the Prophet ﷺ, situations like the Battle of Badr, was one that these were a bunch of bloodthirsty, crazy, wild animals that just started wreaking havoc on all of Arabia. They had lost all their humanity, they had lost all their sensibilities, and they were so bloodthirsty, they were willing to kill their own family. That, has, that was one portrayal of the seerah. And this was the Orientalist presentation of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. And unfortunately, a lot of what we find, the rhetoric that we run into a lot of times, from Islamophobes, or just generally um, not properly informed people, non-Muslims, is that that's what they've read in books. These textbooks or these quote-unquote history books that were written in the last couple of hundred years, this is a perspective they were written from. This was the European Orientalist perspective. And when you read something like this, you find this to be quite the contrary. Here's a Sahabi who's shaking completely, his face is pale, he's sad, he's grieving, that his father had to die in this situation. There's humanity here. And the other, the other issue here is that sometimes even we as Muslims, right, whether, I don't know what it is, whether it's, you know, watching too many movies, or reading too many comic books, or whatever it is, but we like to also sometimes portray this as like, here's this, you know, superhero, or here's this powerful being that's just like destroying everyone and everything in their sight. Right? And again, that was not the Sahaba. The Sahaba were a humble, God-fearing, pious people. These were people who had empathy. These were people who had pain in their hearts for the plight of humanity. They wanted to guide people, not kill people. They wanted to take them with them to paradise, not burn them in the fire of hell. That was not the perspective of the Sahaba. And so it's very important for us to understand and realize this. And there's a third lesson here. That we, you know, I, at least I'll speak for myself. That those of us who come from a background where our families or our parents and our loved ones are, if not all, then mostly Muslim. There's a lot of things that we take for granted. And there's a perspective that we lack. And we need some serious empathy in this regard. And we need to be very sensitive and very cautious. The Prophet ﷺ is watching the face of the Sahaba. You don't think he knew that Utbah bin Rabi'ah, one of the dead that lies there in the battlefield from Quraysh, that his son is with us? Amongst the 300 Sahaba, how was it that the Prophet ﷺ, right at the very precise moment that Abu Hudayfa sees his father's body in the battlefield, that the Prophet ﷺ just happens to glance at his face? That was not a coincidence. This was one of the people the Prophet ﷺ was keeping his eye on. Because he knew his father has died today. His father has fallen on the other side today. And he's gonna struggle with this. It's gonna be hard for him. So the Prophet ﷺ is keeping a watchful eye on him. And the second the Prophet ﷺ sees the color leave his face, the Prophet ﷺ is immediately there to put an arm around him, to hold his hand, to hug him, saying that it's okay, talk to me. And that's where, look, he, 
he expresses himself. I remember my dad being a good person. I was hoping he would understand and listen, but he didn't. And it hurts. So it's very important that we be very sensitive about this perspective. Right? We shouldn't just put people into a small little box or relegate them as to some cute little demographic in the community. Oh, converts. No, no, no. These are Muslim brothers and sisters. The Sahaba were all converts. And what we need to always keep in mind and remember is that be very careful and be very sensitive around people. You never know where someone's coming from. You never know what they're dealing with. You don't know their background. You don't know how much pain they're walking around with in their heart. Right? So be very careful and very sensitive around people like that. And be very cautious and careful about the kind of comments and judgments and fatawa that we tend to throw around. And be very sensitive in dealing with this. The Prophet ﷺ didn't say, brother, he was a kafir, okay? And he fought on the side of the mushrikun. He goes to hell. You have a problem with that? Have iman, brother. Tawheed. The Prophet ﷺ didn't reprimand him. The Prophet ﷺ hugged him and consoled him and let him talk. When he said that I remember, إِنِّي كُنْتُ أَعْرِفُ مِنْ أَبِي رَأْيًا وَحِلْمًا وَفَضْلًا the Prophet didn't say, لا, astaghfirullah. Laysa lil kafiri ra'yun. Right? The Prophet didn't dismiss him. But he listened to him. And he comforted him and he consoled him. So you see the humanity and the human side of the Sahaba on that particular day. Imam Bukhari rahimahullah ta'ala narrates from Abdullah bin Abbas that he said that this ayah from Surah Ibrahim is very relevant to the Quraysh. And the sad choice that they made on the day of Badr. الَّذِينَ بَدَّلُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ كُفْرًا وَأَحَلُّوا قَوْمَهُمْ دَارَ الْبَوَارِ الَّذِينَ بَدَّلُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ كُفْرًا He said, نِعْمَةَ اللَّهُ وَمُحَمَّدَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ هُوَ إِيمَانَ بِاللَّهِ هُوَ الْقُرْآنِ That the blessing of Allah was the Qur'an, was the Messenger وسلم, was belief in Allah, was Islam. That these people chose kufr over the blessing of Allah. They had the Qur'an, they had the Messenger, they had Islam, everything sitting right in front of them. But they voluntarily chose kufr over the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they ended up in the worst of places. And then finally it mentions that typically the protocol was just to um, maintain kind of and make sure everything was okay and give some time to be able to take care of all the people that had died in the battlefield and also to allow some of the injured to be able to nurse their wounds before traveling again because traveling of course is not very easy that they would remain at the place where the battle had taken place like the, the, the side who had even been victorious they would remain in the battlefield or right there by the battlefield for about three days they would camp there for about three days. And that would give everybody the opportunity to be able to recover and somewhat recuperate from the battle before they headed on home. And so they stayed there for about three days and there were about 70 plus individuals from the Quraysh who had been captured, who were prisoners of war. And we'll be talking about them in next week's inshallah dars about what exactly, because there was even a situation about them, what to do about them. And there were some differences of opinion about what to do with the prisoners of war. But they remained there for about three days. One of the prisoners of war was Abbas. Abbas bin Abdul Muttalib. The uncle of the Prophet 
He was not Muslim at this time. He did not want to come for the battle. But Abu Jahl had forced him to come. And so he ended up in the battlefield. He was not actively fighting in the battlefield. But he was captured. And he allowed himself to be captured. Right? And so he was there. And after the battle had ended, somebody suggested, this is very interesting, this is very remarkable. Somebody suggested to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, we defeated the army. The caravan of Abu Sufyan is still on its way back to Mecca. The caravan of Abu Sufyan is still on its way back to Mecca. Why don't we go chase after it and try to grab that as well? And Abbas bin Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, who was, who was tied up nearby, who was sitting nearby, he said, no, you cannot. لَن تَسْتَطِيعُوا He said, you will not be able to. So somebody turned to him and he said, why? He said, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Qur'an, وَإِذْ يَعِدُكُمُ اللَّهُ إِحْدَى الطَّائِفَتَيْنِ I was paying attention. Allah revealed in the Qur'an, you people believe in the Qur'an, you say that you get revelation, Allah said in the Qur'an that Allah has promised you one of the two groups. Either the caravan of Abu Sufyan or the army of the Quraysh. You got the army of the Quraysh, so now you can't get the caravan of Abu Sufyan. So much iman in the Qur'an. Because they knew it deep down inside. They fundamentally knew that it was the truth. And that's a remarkable thing. The disbelievers of that time, they didn't believe sometimes. Abbas bin Abdul Muttalib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Abbas radiallahu anhu, of course, accepted Islam later on. No doubt about that. But even many of the disbelievers at that time had such convictions about the Qur'an. They didn't believe for their own personal reasons. Like Abu Jahl has a testimony, the famous story, where he goes and he listens to the Prophet reciting the Qur'an. And he says, no, I can't believe though. I can't follow him. Because he doesn't come from my family then his family will have superiority over my family. Then he will be more powerful than me in this city, if I believe in him and I follow him, so I can't. I'm the big dog here, I'm in charge here. Right, so people like this, they had their reasons, but one thing was there, that they had this unshakable conviction, that this Qur'an is the truth. This Qur'an, it doesn't lie. They could not refute, they could not refuse, they could not argue against the Qur'an. Such, such just... Conviction about the Qur'an granted and translated into Iman. One little reflection that I'd like for all of us to go home with tonight is that we believe. Alhamdulillah. We believe. We, know, we believe in Allah. We believe in the Messenger of Allah. We believe in this Qur'an. We need that type of conviction in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That when Allah says something, it is what it is. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises something, when Allah says whoever believes and does good, Allah will give them paradise. Allah will give them happiness in this life and success in the eternal life of the hereafter. We have to learn to believe that. When Allah says that whoever disobeys Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then that person will be ruined in this life and the next. We have to learn to believe that. With that same type of conviction. We should be head and shoulders above a disbeliever in his conviction. So we, sh we at the very least can look at this and learn from this story that even they had that much conviction about what the Qur'an said. So let us learn to take a lesson from that and let us learn to try to internalize 
you know, our iman and conviction in regards to the Qur'an and have that type of firm conviction and belief in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the promise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is true. As the Prophet sallallahu said, فَهَلْ وَجَدْتُمْ مَا وَعَدَ رَبُّكُمْ have you found the promise that Allah made to you to be the truth? Because I, I know for a fact that what Allah promised me is the truth. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us that type of conviction. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us firmness in our faith and our iman. Inshallah in the coming sessions, we'll not only talk about what happened with the prisoners of war of Badr, we'll talk about the Prophet ﷺ return back to the city of Medina. And then I haven't forgotten, we will then go through the, the ayat of Surah Al-Anfal, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completely details and shows us the guidance throughout the entire situation of the Battle of Badr. Surah Al-Anfal talks about the Battle of Badr in great detail. So we'll go through Surah Al-Anfal and learn from there what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us through the Battle of Badr. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nasaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk.